to be cold. My wife definitely disagrees with me, but I'm ready for it to cool down. I want to echo that welcome from Bill earlier. Um, we're thankful for all the members that are here, those watching on the live stream. Uh, we're thankful for any visitors, and I hope that uh, you'll give us the opportunity to get to know you. Uh, to start this morning, uh, I want to talk to you about a man. This man grew up, and he was uh, hardworking. He was well-studied. You put a book in front of him, he read it. Um, he was learned. He was an expert in his field. This man was looked up to. When women looked at this man, they wanted their little boys to grow up and be like him. Uh, wives wanted their husbands to be like him. Uh, husbands, the, the men wanted to be like him. This man had it all. He was the man that everybody looked up to. He had wealth. He had power. Um, this was the guy. He had it all. He, he was a good guy uh, in the view of the people around him. But in the view of God, he wasn't so great. In the view of God, this man was a murderer. This man was a persecutor. This man killed people just for believing in Jesus. Maybe you're catching on who I'm talking about. I'm talking about Paul. This man was Paul. Paul, uh, before he became Paul, was Saul of Tarsus, and he was uh, what the Jews wanted to be. He was an ideal Jew. He was the one that everybody wanted to be like. But in the sight of God, he was a murderer. That's how, that's how God viewed Paul. And this, this morning, I want to get into, I want to start a sermon series of sorts. Uh, for the next five last Sundays of the month when I preach, I'm going to go through some words of Paul. Uh, Paul gives us what he calls trustworthy statements uh, throughout the, the pastoral epistles. Um, that's First and Second Timothy and Titus. He gives us what he calls trustworthy statements, statements that are worthy of our trust, worthy of our faith, worthy of our belief. They deserve for us to believe them. Um, he says in this one specifically that the statement is deserving of our full acceptance. It's like something uh, as obvious as gravity. When you jump, you know you're going to fall back down if you're on this earth. You know gravity is there. You know it's real. It's something like as obvious as walking outside knowing that the sky right now is blue. We all know it. That's how obvious these statements are, and they're always going to be true, and they always have been true ever since uh, the creation of the world. If you want to turn in your Bibles to 1 Timothy, that's where this first trustworthy statement is. 1 Timothy chapter 1, that's where we're going to be for this lesson today. I'll go ahead and read it. 1 Timothy 1 and verse 15. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. That's what I want to talk about this morning. To start, it should give us strength just to know that, to know that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. That should strengthen us as Christians uh, to know that. And so I want to start by reading verse 12. I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. Maybe in your life you can remember times that you've been without strength. Uh, I can remember times uh, that I've been especially without physical strength. Uh, when I played baseball, We'd practice for three or four hours, and then we'd do a workout to end it. And I remember times that we'd be doing push-ups, and I'd go down, and I wouldn't be able to push myself back up. I, I had worked out my muscles to the point that they just weren't going to work anymore. I had no more strength in me. Maybe you've uh, worked your body to that point before. Maybe uh, you've been without strength emotionally. You've, you've gone through so much that you just can't deal with what you're dealing with anymore, and you have to walk away. Emotionally, you're without strength. Well, Paul seems to have been... Uh, without strength before he found Jesus. He thanks Jesus for giving him that strength that he didn't have before, that, that strength that can only come 
through Jesus. And you can see that transformation in his life. He calls him Christ Jesus, our Lord. He recognizes Jesus as his Lord, as his master, as his king. And more than that, he recognizes the fellowship he now has with other Christians by calling him our Lord. So he thanks Jesus for giving him strength. Why did Jesus give Paul this strength that he couldn't find on his own? Because he had judged me faithful according to his service. That strength came because Jesus judged Paul as being faithful and appointed him to be a servant. If you're a Christian in here this morning, you have been judged as faithful. Jesus has looked at you and seen your faith. He recognizes your faith, and because of that, he wants you to serve him. Paul had the extraordinary task of evangelizing to the Gentiles. He was the apostle to the Gentiles we see in Galatians. Now, we don't have that task. We're not uh, the apostle in that same sense. We can't go out and heal people. Um, We can't Uh, prophesy, we can't speak in tongues, we can't do any of those crazy things that Paul could do, but we are apostles in the sense that we are carrying a message. That's what an apostle was, one who carried a message. Paul was a messenger, and in the same way, we are messengers. We've been appointed to serve Christ. So it should give us strength just to know, first off, that Jesus came to save sinners, and we see that transformation in Paul's life. We see him go from a murderer, from from someone who hated Christianity to someone who was an apostle, someone who was a messenger for Christ. Jesus saw that faith and appointed him to be a servant. And if you're a Christian in here today, the same is true for you. Jesus sees your faith, and he wants you to serve him. And that actually brings us right into our second point. It should give us strength. It should strengthen us as Christians to see that transformation of Paul. Let's read verses 13 and 14. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, a persecutor, an insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Paul isn't describing uh, Paul as we know him, the man who wrote half the letters of the New Testament. He's describing Saul that old person that he used to be before he became a Christian. That, that Saul that was, um, he starts off by saying that he was a blasphemer. A blasphemer, one who speaks falsely of. He spoke falsely of Jesus. He said that Jesus wasn't the son of God, that Jesus didn't come to wash away the, sin, wash away the sins of the world, that Jesus wasn't even sent from God. He was a blasphemer. He was a persecutor. He tried to kill and destroy the thing that Jesus died to set up. Jesus died to set up his church, and Paul was a persecutor. He tried to destroy that thing. He tried to kill as many Christians as he could to end the spread of the church. And then that last one, he's an insolent opponent. An opponent, someone who's against something else. He was against Christianity. He was against Christ in general. And that word insolent means that he had no respect for Jesus. He didn't respect Jesus. He didn't respect his church. He didn't respect anything about Christianity. He was a blasphemer, a persecutor, an insolent opponent. That's just as descriptive as that description I gave earlier. Paul was completely against Christ in every way that he could be. But there's that three-letter word that completely changes the direction that the story is going. In verse, four, uh, in verse 13, but I received mercy. Paul deserved so much worse. What do you, imagine what Paul deserved for his crimes, for what he'd done to, to Jesus, to his church. Paul deserved, realistically, death. He deserved eternal punishment. He, he acted ignorantly in unbelief. We've all been in the shoes of Saul at some point in our lives. We all were ignorant. We've all had unbelief at times in our lives. In a sense, we've all blasphemed Jesus. If you've ever said, I'm not sure that Jesus really was the Son of God, in a sense, that's blasphemy. That, that's, that's what Paul did, not to the same level, 
but in a sense, it's the same thing. Um, you've been an insolent opponent. If you didn't respect Jesus enough to become a Christian to believe his words, then you, in a sense, have been an insolent opponent. Obviously not to the level of Paul, but we've all been against Jesus at some point in our lives because we were sinful. We weren't a part of his church. And so um, Paul deserved all those things because he was acting ignorantly in unbelief, but he received mercy. Verse 14, And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Grace overflowed for Paul. I think I've defined this, these words before, but I think they need to be defined here. What, are, what grace and mercy are. Grace is getting something that you don't deserve. And the grace overflowed here for Paul. Paul got so many things that he didn't deserve, but specifically, Paul got a second chance. Once again, Paul deserved death. He didn't deserve uh, another, another chance to be a Christian, a chance to spread the word of Christ, but he got it anyway. That's the grace of Christ showing in him. And mercy is not getting what you do deserve. Paul deserved that death. He deserved uh, eternal punishment, really, for what he'd done. He was murdering Christians as much as he could. But Paul found his faith in Jesus, and there at the end of verse 14, it overflowed for him with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Paul found his faith for Jesus, and in in turn, Jesus had faith in Paul. Jesus had faith that Paul was going to do what he was asked to do, that he was going to go and spread the word of Christ. And Jesus has that same faith in us today. If you're a Christian, he has faith in you. Faith that you're going to stand for him. You're going to teach his word. You're going to go out and tell people. You're going to stand in the face of adversity if it means standing for Christ. He has faith in you, and in turn, the love of Christ overflowed on Paul, and it's going to overflow on us. Look at that transformation from Paul's life. From going from that blasphemer, that insolent opponent, that persecutor, to now, he's Paul. He's a Christian. He's an apostle. He's a minister of Christ. We can see that incredible change of Paul, and that leads us into our last point. It should give us strength as a Christian. It should strengthen our faith because we're never going to be the foremost sinner. Let's read verses 15 and 16 of this text. Uh, The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. But I received mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. Now I have to start by saying sin is not a competition. Um, All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Comparing sin in the sense of I'm better than you because I've sinned less, I've sinned less than you, that's that's something that doesn't need to be done because all sin separates from God. If you've sinned, you've been separated from God. So sin isn't something for us to compare and try and be better than others. But Paul does compare his sin with ours, but it's for a good reason here. He says that he is the foremost sinner, and that in him, the perfect patience of Christ is, is, is displayed. See, Paul was sinner number one. When you looked at Paul, he was the greatest sinner that has ever lived. That word for I am is one that, that starts there and carries on into the future. He, he's not just the foremost there. There's not going to be people worse than him. Paul was the foremost, and he still is the foremost sinner. These are the words that he wrote for us. And so even though sin's not a competition, he says, I was the number one sinner. I killed Christians. I persecuted the church. I tried to end it. I ruined the lives of Christians. I, I, I took fathers from children. I took husbands from wives, all in the name of God, even though God didn't even want me to do that. And because of that, Paul says, I am the foremost sinner. But the perfect patience of Christ is displayed. If Jesus can save Paul, he can save anyone. 
That's basically what Paul is saying here. If Jesus was willing to give me grace and mercy, if he was willing to save me and help me turn my life around, he can save anyone. You know, we often feel guilty for our sin. At least I have. I'm sure you have too. You felt guilty. You felt guilty for your sin. And that's a good thing. We should feel guilty for sin. Sin is something bad. It's something that we need to turn away from. It's something that we need to repent from. But we can never allow our guilt to turn into a lack of faith in the grace of God. We can never allow that guilt to turn into a lack of faith in the grace of God. We can't allow ourselves to think that we're not saved because we're so horrible, uh, we're, we're awful people. We should feel bad for our sin. We should want to change our lives. We should want to repent. But at the same time, if we've become baptized Christians, we don't have to worry about being the worst sinner ever. Paul said, I am the foremost sinner. The perfect patience of Christ has already been displayed, and so we don't need to worry about that. And so what should our response be? As, as Christians, uh, we should be thankful. We're those who were to believe in him for eternal life, those future people. What should our response be to that? To, to Paul being the foremost sinner and for him being saved, what should our response be? Well, Paul tells us in verse 17, he shows us what our response ought to be and that we should praise God. To the king of ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Our response to that insane amount of grace that we can experience, that mercy that we can receive, should be to praise God. Paul praises God, first off, as the king of the ages. The king of ages. The king could do whatever he wanted. A king can do what he wants in relation to his subjects, but not in relation to other kings. But God is the king of the ages. He's the greatest king that ever has been. God can do whatever he wants, whenever he wants. He's that powerful. He's over all things. He praises God for that, for being over everything. God can do what he wants, and and specifically, God's done what's good for us. That's what God is doing. He's working for the good of us. He then praises God as being immortal. God has been since before the world began, and he will be long after. God is eternal. He's been around forever. He he doesn't fall into uh, the category of other kings that that have passed away, that, that were wise, but they passed away after a while. God's seen it all. He knows it all. He knows what's happened and what will happen. And then he praises God for being invisible. He's invisible. He's everywhere all the time. We don't have to worry about where God is. God isn't in statues. He's not uh, in a box somewhere. God is everywhere all the time. We know that he's with us at all times. And then the very last thing he praises God for, for being the only God. There's only one God. And that's just the truth. There's one God. There's only one Father, and there's only one way to come to him. It's through Jesus. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. You can't be saved through Islam. You can't be saved through Judaism anymore. You can't be saved through Hinduism or Buddhism. None of those things can save you anymore because there's one God, and there's one way to get to him, and that's Jesus. And so we, we need to praise God for those things because of the awesome, incredible amount of grace that we've received Um, And that's evidence through Paul. To him be the honor and the glory forever and ever. Amen. I want to end by reading through this text one more time in full because I broke it up into pieces, but I think it's even more powerful if you read the text as a whole, starting in verse 12. I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, and insolent opponent, But I received mercy because I'd acted ignorantly in unbelief, and the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world 
to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. But I received mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. To the King of ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. What an insane amount of faith that we have been able to, able to read about, able to experience as Christians. You know, I started this lesson by describing a man to you, and I want to end it by describing another man to you. Uh, this man was, was alive about 60 years ago. He was raised by his mother and father, but his father was noticeably absent. His mother was verbally and mentally abusive, and it set him off on the wrong track. Uh, he, he wasn't set up to be a good person. And he lived his life, he ran into problems with the law, and eventually uh, he became a murderer. A few words to describe this man would be a rapist, a murderer, a cannibal. I, I don't know how you could get lower than that. It, he was a horrible, evil, wicked man, and people on the outside saw that. The man I'm describing right now is Jeffrey Dahmer. I'm, I'm sure those of you that are older have heard of him. Uh, Jeffrey Dahmer was a murderer, he was a rapist, he was a cannibal, he was all these things. When people hear the name Jeffrey Dahmer, they think of someone that's awful, someone uh, that doesn't deserve life. Obviously, he passed away in prison. Someone that doesn't deserve anything good. That's what they think of. But when I think of Jeffrey Dahmer, you know what I think of now? I think of a Christian. Jeffrey Dahmer in prison received a tract. And he read that tract and heard about Jesus, and he reached out to the minister that sent it to him. And they had some Bible studies, and ultimately he was baptized into Jesus for the forgiveness of his sins. Now, who am I to say that the grace of Jesus isn't big enough to cover someone like Jeffrey Dahmer? Who are we to say that? Now, if his heart wasn't in the right place, sure, I don't, I don't know how the grace of God affects that. But if his heart was in the right place, I can tell you 100% that the grace of Jesus can cover even someone as wicked and horrible as Jeffrey Dahmer. Someone who did such awful things. Because Paul was the foremost sinner. Jeffrey Dahmer might be a close second. But Paul took the spot as number one, and the perfect patience of Christ was shown through that. Uh, this morning, this isn't a lesson for you necessarily to go out and change your life. If you're not a Christian yet, then it is a lesson for you, because you need that grace. You haven't experienced it yet, and you need it. You need the peace and hope and love and grace that come through Jesus. And so this morning, if you haven't experienced that yet, um, you need to. You're still a sinner, Jesus came to save sinners, he came to save you, but you have to accept him in order for that to happen. And so this morning, if you haven't been baptized for the forgiveness of your sins, we'd love to help you with that. We have a baptistry, and we'd love to assist you. If you need to study, we'd love to do that. But for the rest of us, those of us that already are saved, those of us that already are Christians, this isn't a lesson for you to go out and, and do these three things, and uh, we're going to do so much. This is more so a lesson for us to change our mindsets. I've talked to people in this congregation who struggle with sin, and who struggle with believing that God could forgive them for what they've done wrong in their lives. But we need to change that mindset. Paul said, I was, I'm the foremost sinner so the perfect patience of Christ might be displayed. Jesus' patience and love and mercy and grace is extended to you, and it's never going to go away as long as you're his. No matter how bad of a person you used to be, no matter how, how much you, you did awful things, you weren't as bad as Paul. You weren't a murderer, you weren't killing Christians, you weren't persecuting the church. And so uh, this is more so a lesson for that, for us to change our mindsets, to understand the grace of, of God a, a little bit better, I hope. This morning, if you do have a need outside of that, we'd love to assist you with it. Um, if you need prayers, if you need to study, if you need anything, we'd love to assist you in that way. 
If you have a need this morning, you can come forward. Um, If you don't want to do that, you can come talk to us later. Talk to me or Russ or one of the elders or deacons or one of our wives. Talk to any of us, and we'd love to assist you. If you have a need this morning, uh, you can come forward as we stand and as we sing.